What is up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of FedWatch. I am Ansel Lindner, and Christian had a scheduling conflict today, so he will not be joining us. But I think the guys here from the live stream, they will be jumping in and out. Maybe if you guys have questions throughout the episode, you can throw them in the chat and we can just freestyle it. I have a few stories here to go over, some stuff from the Fed and new nominees to the Federal Reserve Board. Uh, of course, the Arizona story we're going to cover real quickly. Some new developments uh, out of China and Evergrande. And finally, the IMF GDP forecasts. So uh, again, any questions throughout this episode, just uh, bring them up in the chat. Okay, let's get going on the Fed news. Now, everybody knows the recent headlines have been all around is the Fed going to raise rates? How many times are they going to raise in 2022? I saw a story that was predicting seven rate hikes in 2022 from CNBC. And I'm like, oh my God, that's just ridiculous. It's not going to happen. Uh, it would be lucky if they could get one rate hike in March or April. And that's about it. They'll have to reverse course, in my opinion. So we'll see how that goes. Of course, the CPI um, around that time will also be tanking because the it's a year over year number and if you look at back in 2021 april may is when it really ramped up so if you're comparing it year over year most likely we're going to see cpi really start going the other direction this april and may so in that time frame is the fed going to be able to raise rates as the cpi is falling and the global economy is like tightening up once again we'll see we'll see how far they get but that's not the big story i wanted to cover the the New stuff this week is Biden's nominations to go to the Federal Reserve Board. The big one is Sarah Bloom Raskin. She's taking over or she's um, nominated to take over for Quarles, who we have reported on leaving the Fed in uh, December. So his position was vice chairman. He was number two at the Fed. And he's also head. He was head of supervision. So what they do is the head of supervision um, is in charge of like setting rules and regulations for within the Fed and for entities that interact with the Fed. So it's a pretty big job that they, they uh, you know, that's open and this Raskin has been nominated to go into. She's a controversial pick, however, because she is pretty radical progressive. She's kind of friends with Elizabeth Warren and Bitcoiners will know Elizabeth Warren because she is like one of the biggest enemies of Bitcoin in the US Congress. So this Raskin is along those lines as well. She's outspoken, open to using the Fed and regulation and even monetary policy for climate initiatives. So, you know, she's really in that line of globalist, Davos, progressive type just exactly like Elizabeth Warren. So it's not really that good that she would be number two at the Fed. One of her main criticisms that she's made over the last couple of years about Quarles uh, in particular is Quarles letting energy companies, you know, access Federal Reserve liquidity. So in 2020, you know, she would just would have had the oil companies just go bust instead of giving them access to, you know, emergency funds. So she's really into penalizing the fossil fuel industry and bitcoin goes right along with that right it's uh, bitcoin mining and all of that stuff she's also talked about cbdc's and cryptocurrencies in general 
she's a big fan of regulation, um, kind of regulate now, ask questions later sort of person. So um, all in all, I think this Raskin is a bad choice for the Fed, but uh, I, will it hurt Bitcoin? I don't think it will hurt Bitcoin all that much. It might actually bring more headlines for Bitcoin, right? Like if she's going after Bitcoin, if the Federal Reserve is doing XYZ for CBDCs, maybe uh, you know that brings the Overton window over towards Bitcoin more. So that would be a good thing. And that's all I have for Fed news. Do you guys have anything to add or anything from the chat? Nothing from the chat, but I am, I, I'd love to just quickly expand a little bit on, you know, the effect of some of these potential nominees and its direct effect on Bitcoin. I, I take it from what you're saying. It, it's sort of like this, all news is, all press is good press almost. Or would you say, is there something that yeah. you're keeping an eye on the Fed in particular to Bitcoin of like, hey, if they start having this dialogue or this conversation, we need to have our, our warning signs up. Yeah, I, I think the the first one where you said that all press is good press. And, you know, Powell has, love him or hate him, he has really stiff-armed CBDCs to a very big degree and also regulation on Bitcoin. He's even talked about, you know, regulating stable coins like banks, you know, bringing them into the system. So, um, and he has nothing against Bitcoin, as far as I understand. He's light touch on regulation in that regard. So I think as long as Powell's there for the next four years, we should be okay. And in that time, you know, Bitcoin is just going to continue to grow. And by the time Powell would ever get out, you know, maybe then they would clamp, try to clamp down, but then it might be too late. So overall, I don't think this can hurt Bitcoin, but I think it's important to kind of see the dichotomy that's going on. I, I put it in uh, context of, you know, I think the Fed has kind of broken ranks with this, the ECB and other central banks, especially along these CBDC lines. And this is kind of an example of that where Raskin, if she was in Europe, she would be guaranteed to get on the board. But here in the US, it's actual con uh, controversy around this. So um, I think it's, it's just interesting to know what's going on there at the Fed. Okay, uh, let's go on to the next one is Arizona. And I saw Natalie did some coverage on Bitcoin Magazine a couple of days ago on when this broke. But just to uh, rehash what happened over there in Arizona, is they had a bill introduced to make Bitcoin legal tender. And, you know, alongside the U.S. dollar, it, it's exactly in the blueprint of El Salvador, right? What, hap what's, what happened in El Salvador. But uh, this is a huge, huge deal in a macro context. Uh, if just looking at a GDP com uh, comparison, the state of Arizona is, has a GDP of $375 billion a year. And the GDP of El Salvador is 25 billion. So the, the GDP of Arizona is 14 times bigger than El Salvador. So if this was to become a legal tender in Arizona, it's just another you know, domino that's falling. And it, it's at the heart of the US hegemony over the global financial system, You know, one of the 50 states. So th this would be a very big deal. Now, will it happen? I don't know. There's a lot of legal questions around it uh, the biggest being the constitutional issue so in the constitution it says that states cannot make anything but gold and silver legal tender that brings up the question the current u.s dollar is not based on gold and silver so is the u.s dollar can they even make the u.s dollar currently a legal tender so that, that's the kind of question that would make it so maybe the federal government wouldn't come after arizona because it would open them up to being like, oh, well, what about the current US dollar, right? 
Um, another uh, issue is a lot of people are saying this is similar to the marijuana laws, you know, federal laws versus state laws. And it's pretty different than that, actually, because I believe that the federal law is unconstitutional in that case. And the states are the reason why no one has the federal government hasn't sued the states is because the federal government would probably lose because they're they're the ones in the wrong where the states are the ones in the right in that that scenario. So the legal tender question is actually flipped on its head from the marijuana question. So anyway, then uh, others like that are in the know, Caitlin Long, she spearheaded the effort in Wyoming uh, for Bitcoin, and they had to drop even trying to make Bitcoin legal tender there because they said it was unconstitutional and non-starter. Um, so again, this is opening that Over Overton window, sliding it to towards Bitcoin for Bitcoin to be in the conversation everywhere. Even if it's not legal tender in Arizona, it at least you know chips away at the narrative of the dollar being the king, right? So that's uh, my Arizona stuff. Any comments or questions on that from the chat? Nothing from the chat, but uh, love the uh, push, legalize it. Right, uh, yes, and now let's get into Evergrande. So this is one of my, uh, I guess, my favorite macro topics here is the the fall of China. I've been talking about this for at least a couple of years. If you go on to my other podcast feed, Bitcoin and Markets, back in February of last year, so a year ago, I talked to, I debunked the Thucydides trap, which is you know as a rising power takes on a declining power, and you know going back and forth. And I, I said, look, that whole idea is wrong. And it's definitely wrong in the case of China. They're just one big credit bubble waiting to pop. Uh, and then we saw what happened in the rest of 2021. They've had some major economic issues, most recently, of course, being Evergrande. Uh, so the new news from Evergrande is these state-owned entities or uh, enterprises are taking over a lot of the real estate market. Uh, they recently were exempted from the three red lines policy from the Chinese Communist Party. And what those are is, I can't remember what month it was, like August, September, that they came out with these new regulations that had to do with liabilities versus assets and cash on hand versus um, like short-term debt obligations. So there, there were these three red lines that they made and it, it had the effect of putting all re, uh, real estate developers in China pretty much in the red, insolvent right away outside of the regulations. So that's one thing that really kicked off this uh, crash over there in real estate. But uh, anyway, so these state-owned state -owned enterprises, now they are exempt from those three red lines. They also have unlimited access to credit because they're part of the CCP. They can't be turned down by the banks. So they're snapping up all of this real estate. Um, it's almost like it's a de facto nationalization of the real estate market over there under the radar. Like this is under everyone's noses that this is happening over there. So a uh, really big deal. I also said um, that... China had a choice, either Japan or North Korea. So as their, their credit bubble is collapsing, they can become Japan and stagnate, or they can become more authoritarian like North Korea and starve. So I was like stagnation or starvation. And it looks more like they're going towards North Korea. And that, that's a really bad sign for the global economy in general, because, you know, China is a big growth engine for the world. Yep. My fellow clubs, the Bitcoin conference is back. 
Bitcoin 2022, April 6th through the 9th is the ultimate pilgrimage for the Bitcoin ecosystem. The Bitcoin conference is the biggest event in all of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. We're leveling up and making this bigger and better than ever. I'm talking straight to the moon with the four day long festival in the heart of Miami at the Miami Beach Convention Center. This has something for everyone. Whether you're a high-powered Bitcoin entrepreneur, a core developer, or a Bitcoin newbie, Bitcoin 2022 is the ultimate place for you to be with your people and celebrate and learn about the Bitcoin culture. So make sure to go to b.tc forward slash conference to lock in your official tickets and use promo code Satoshi for 10% off. Want more off? Pay in Bitcoin and you'll receive $100 off general admission and $1,000 off whale pass. Those are stackable. So go to b.tc forward slash conference and attend the best conference in Bitcoin history. Another story out of Evergrande is suppliers. So this is an example of second order effects, second and third order effects and why central planning doesn't work. So right now the suppliers are, you know, the, Suppliers of, say, furniture or plumbing supplies or whatever to Evergrande, all these other companies are going under now, too. So, and these are not small companies. These are $100 million companies, a billion-dollar company, say. And let's just take an example of furniture. So, a furniture company that was a $100 million furniture company that em employed 50,000 people, and they only sold to Evergrande. So, now they are out of business, too. And those 50,000 people are out of business. And the, the lumber and the metal suppliers that supplied the furniture company, now they are having to uh, have problems as well. So this, these are second and third order effects that we're starting to see roll through China. Um, and it's, it's a downward credit collapse is what's going on over there. So that is all I have on Evergrande. Any questions from the chat or from uh, the hosts here on the other side? Chats are empty, but I, I am genuinely curious. You know, I, I've been following Evergrande ever since sort of the, the news came that they were about to default and we, the effects of what that could lead. From what you're sharing with us, it almost sounds like, you know, no solutions have been found and they are slowly and steadily collapsing. One thing that I did remember, and, and I'm not sure if, if uh, you mentioned this and I, I just missed it up, my apologies, um, you know, China's approach when the Evergrande news first came to be was we're going to prioritize the citizens over these businesses and allow, if the businesses need to collapse, the businesses need to collapse and we will deal with that. But we want to make sure citizens are secure, their money and their finances that have been tied up in this. Is there any sort of change in that, in that sort of uh, policy by China or are they now sort of trying to help push businesses to, to save themselves, if you will? I know you kind of touched on uh, the suppliers and whatnot, but specifically out of the CCP. Yeah, in general, um, no, there's been no change. So what, what you're speaking to is that some of the bond issues, you know, were foreigners. So foreigners owned the bonds and they were letting Evergrande and other companies default on their foreign uh, bondholders and not their domestic bondholders. Uh, that's still kind of going on. One development uh, that... I thought was very interesting is there's this uh, hedge fund, U.S. hedge fund called Oak Tree. I guess they're very big. I never heard of them before, but they went and seized some Evergrande uh, real estate on Hong Kong, uh, this big undeveloped piece of land that they had invested half a billion dollars into uh, and Evergrande never paid them, that this American company went and seized that property. 
They also, on mainland China, outside of Shanghai somewhere, they seized a bunch of, I don't know, a thousand acres or something of undeveloped land from Evergrande as well. So there are some uh, secured lenders outside of China that are able to get the property that they are owed. But most people that, you know, all these bondholders were unsecured. So they're just, they're all out of luck pretty much. Do you envision the CCP goes a full authoritarian route, just pure speculation, not not anything factual based, but like, would you suspect the CCP to turn around and tell these foreign entities like, no, you can't own property in our country despite whatever deal or money, the way it flowed? Or what, what effect or anything do you see the CCP having on these foreign con- entities coming into their country? People will always be able to invest in China because China wants their money to come in, right? But the, the thing is, they, they probably won't ever be able to own property outright. I think even today, it's, it's mainly leases. Like they'll, you'll, you'll buy a lease for 100 years on a piece of property, uh, something like that. Now, we might see something like that continue in the future, uh, maybe get worse, maybe you know, they force you to have some sort of insurance policy that makes it uneconomical for most people to buy property over there. Uh, I don't know. They could do a lot of different things. But uh, uh, overall, they're becoming a very bad environment for foreign capital. So I don't think foreign capital will go into China at nearly the clip that it has over the last 10 years. I think, you know, we might see 10% of the foreign direct investment actually making its way into China. Um. That makes sense. It'll be interesting to see how China sort of reacts in the coming months and years. There is a question from the chat that I want to present to you. Uh, What is your best guess of what China may look like economically in 10 years? Um, I know you kind of touched on the sort of going the North Korea authoritarian route, starving their citizens. Um, But can you give us like a little bit of a range of what the possibilities that you could see? Yeah, well, I, I, I think the CCP is kind of finished. So my base case is that in the next 10 years, the CCP is gone or it, maybe not gone, but maybe they lose control of parts of the country or something like that. So um, that's my base case. And it, if and when that happens, that will be good for their economy, not initially, but, you know, that'll be good for their growth prospects. Once they can cast off the communists, the communists, they can kick them out of the country. I think then China would have a brighter future once again. But until that time, uh, I think that they're probably going to be a faster fall than Japan into a stagnation and uh, start looking more like North Korea. Seriously, like they could have major problems. And if that happens, there's going to be capital flight. There's going to be human flight, you know, emigration out of China. The wheels could fall off of Eastern Asia. That's for sure. I mean, I think if the CCP lost power, that would be a, a massive geopolitical shift, uh, not only in China, not only in Asia, but globally, I think uh, it, it will be very interesting to see if that comes to fruition. It would definitely be one of those moments where everyone will remember where they are when they heard yeah. the news that China, the CCP no longer has power in China. Yeah, I mean, they are historically authoritarian, right? Because they had the the empires, the Chinese emperors and all that stuff going um, as near as early 20th century, they had uh, an emperor still. So uh, maybe that won't happen. Maybe they like to have their emperor. They like to have somebody in charge and Xi Jinping is going that route. Uh, but, you know, when, when you're a middle income country like China is starting to become, 
and now you're facing a prospect of a credit collapse and you're going to go back to being very poor country um something's going to change there some sort of leadership change is going to happen in china for sure all right so the last thing i have here is imf growth it's gdp forecast for 2022 they continue to go the wrong way so uh they just did an October update to their forecast for 2022 and now a, a January update. Uh, the global GDP numbers fell from, or the forecast fell from 4.9% down to 4.4. The US fell from 5.2% growth down to 4% growth. And China came in still at a 4.8% growth, which I think is uh, wishful thinking. But uh, this is you know just showing that even at the IMF, even at some of these kind of inside power structure think tanks, they are seeing that the economy is slowing down. And we could, I mean, I've seen some analysts say that the U.S. could slide into recession in the first half of the year. Uh, that would be very quickly. Uh, I don't know if that's quite the case, but uh, yeah, it's not looking good. Uh, the, as the global economy is slowing down, will the Fed be able to hike rates? So we're going to come from the end all the way back to the beginning. Can the Fed hike rates in the face of slowing global economy? And that's all I got, guys. Uh, we got, we've got a few questions now rolling in, uh, if you'll entertain us. What do you think of the Silk Road Initiative or how that's going to impact uh, Kazakhstan? Okay, very good question. So the Silk Road Initiative was a really good way for China to recycle their dollars uh, instead of uh, you know, because they have this huge trade surplus with the United States, they were, used to buy treasuries. But instead of doing that, what they've started doing is over the last five to 10 years, they've started uh, using that to finance projects on this Belt and Road Initiative. It's actually an ingenious um, kind of plan that they had. And Kazakhstan was a big part of that because I think Kazakhstan has a border with China. And so they were a, a big piece in this like Central Asian um, route that was going to go, it was going to be a big highway and big rail lines and, and all that. There, there's a lot of different political trouble with that right now. The, you know, it's not as easy to make these corrupt Central Asian governments um, buy off on all of your, your plans. And so th there are some uh, hiccups. It's not all smooth sailing. Like people think, oh, the Chinese uh, are so efficient. They just get everything done. They want to build it. They, they build it. They'll get it done. But it's not like that. You know, they're human just like everybody else. And they're running into roadblocks as well. Specifically about Kazakhstan, maybe he's talking about with this recent military thing that they had there, the recent uprising. Uh, I don't think that's going to impact it very much. I don't, I don't think so. No, awesome. Uh, thank you for the color on that. We have one more. What about the legal tender and the uniform commercial code? Isn't there a provision that if a recognized sovereignty has recognized an asset as legal tender, other sovereignties or other sovereigns are obliged to recognize? Yeah, I've heard that. I'm not an expert in that field. I have heard that though. When I, I did try to look it up when El Salvador first did that because that was a talking point at that time. And I really couldn't find anything specific on it. So if you guys do, I would love to know. You can hit me up on Twitter uh, and ping me if you guys find information on that. But uh, that would be interesting. I'm kind of more interested in what the IRS says about Bitcoin. 
if it's legal tender, is that now money and there's no capital gains? Um, that would be very, very interesting. Awesome. Well, I don't know if Alex, if you've recovered or have any questions that you want to ask Ansel, but uh, this has been super helpful. We'll be definitely keeping an eye out on all things Evergreen and, and Arizona legal tenders. So thank you for those updates, man. Thank you guys. Uh, have a good live stream and we'll check you later. <laughs>